electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast, the market shrugging off a big-time warning from Microsoft in hawkish statements from the Fed's biggest stub. Has Wall Street already been there, done that, and priced in all these negative headlines? Plus, Regeneron, one of the worst-performing stocks in the S&P, this on a day where the biotech giant announced a billion-dollar deal to buy a cancer drug from Sanofi. We'll get the lowdown from the CEO just minutes from now. And later, Tesla shares all revved up, surging more than 11% in the last week. We will dive into the options action that may be helping electrify this one. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. We start off with a big warning from Microsoft, the tech giant cutting its fiscal Q4 guidance for both revenue and earnings, setting unfavorable moves in the dollar as a reason for the change. But here is what is interesting, we thought. After initially dropping on the news, shares of Microsoft actually ended the day well in the green. And so did the rest of the market. The Nasdaq ended the day up nearly 2.7 percent, with the S&P and Dow following suit. And this even after Fed Vice Chair Lael Brainerd suggested there was no reason to think the central bank will be less aggressive in its rate hike. So the question here is, has the market priced in an aggressive Fed, dollar volatility and peak inflation at this point? Bad news, good price action, Tim. Well, if you think about where we've come from, and again, I'll cite S&P up 9.5% from the intraday lows on Friday the 20th, NASDAQ up, I think, about 11.5%. But it, certainly before those moves, you could make an argument, and you know, I've seen different measures of this, we'd priced in 75% of a recession. Anything short of a recession meant that you, know, you actually had already repriced a lot of stuff, that in fact the defensive stuff was actually extremely expensive, and that spread relative to the high multiple stuff um, was at a crazy level. When you look at the price action today, and you think about also, the, you know, how about the day when we had Target and Walmart report and, and the impact they had on the overall market? We were waiting. We, you know, we said it. Dan said, I, I, I want to hear this from Apple. Um, the problem with today's news, if you're a market bull and want to say this was a great performance, is I didn't hear anything from Microsoft that said this was a demand pullback. This is talking about FX. We've been talking about the dollar on the show for months. So the fact and we heard it in their April announcement that there was a three hundred million dollar hit based upon FX. Uh, I think the ADP weakness, I think the OPEC deal uh, to bring more supply back online. These are two things that I think are equity supportive and just kind of go along with the sense that uh, I think there's so many people screaming fear and bear market rally that the market kind of squeezes higher. Does today make you feel better? Yes and no. I mean, there's something about things just like falling apart that I actually find opportunities there, right, where the VIX really Blood in the streets going. when it's not your own. Exactly. And yeah. often it is my own. That happens all the time. But I, I, I kind of like that. And when things trade down at integers for no particular reason other than sentiment, we saw that when she was talking about Walmart mm-hmm. and Target. Now we're seeing, you know, Leon Cooperman said a couple of weeks ago on Scott's show. I'm on I, the whatever phone yes while he was, while he was <laughs> it wasn't it was a very amusing hit i gotta say but one thing he said that really stuck with me was we'll know when it's <laughs> over when bad news doesn't make things trade down anymore and right. i uh, and, and so i thought that was very interesting for microsoft why they came out with this announcement i'm not really sure 
But it was certainly interesting price action on the heels of it. Yeah, yeah I because just, Dan's ready to say that this wasn't a bad news announcement. Okay, no, go. my goodness. I mean, like, of, of all the pre-announcements that we've lived with from major companies that have mm-hmm. the potential to really move markets on one statement, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I mean, this did not fall into the sort of guidance or relative to what they said, you know, in April um, that you would come out and pre-announce. I wonder, you know, they, they're getting this out of the way. Okay, so this is just one thing. And, you know, when they made this announcement, the Dixie, the U.S. dollar index has been down a few percent over the last few weeks, right? So this is not going to be the same sort of situation. If they were to guide um, for the current quarter, you know what I mean, or for the next quarter, the, the dollar is not going to be a, a big impact, you know, sequentially. That being said, you know, this is a stock that still trades well above a market multiple. It's one of the last ones. Apple has seen meaningful uh, on a P.E. basis, you know, uh, valuation compression here. You know, I'll just say this about we'll know when it's over. As it, You know, Leon's seen far for, more market cycles than I have. We were just talking about this a little bit. But, man, you could have said that in the summer of 2000. You could have said it again in the fall of 2000. You could have said it five times in 2000. For many stocks, though, the summer of 2000 was the bottom. Not for some of the yeah, but I guess the, I guess the big areas. issue with the stock market, the way a lot of our viewers look at it, they're not looking at it um, on names that are down 50, 60, 70 percent. They're looking at an S and P 500 is down 12 and a half percent. And you say relative to like last cycles we've seen when the Fed was raising back in 2018, the stock market went down 20 percent in two months. That's what we got to over the course of this whole correction in 2022. I just don't well, think it encapsulates everything. Think about what Jamie Dimon said and relative to what he just said which day? a couple of weeks which ago. Day? Which and day are we talking said, about? On their Q1 earnings in April, and I think him coming out and saying this, I think that Microsoft is the tip of the iceberg. I don't believe that we're going to have these massive, massive um, sort of guide downs. But we were talking about, we're expecting it. This needs to happen here. We need to see some of these huge companies start talking about it. This is a huge company that warned on FX, which... FX. FX, right. For for the most part, investors do look through FX and FX fluctuations. And so shouldn't we be breathing a sigh of relief that they could have used this opportunity to come out and warn on FX fluctuations, but also say, and things are a little bit uncertain because of Ukraine. I mean, I would have thought this is the perfect opportunity. We're filing AK. We're talking to investors. We're going to do this, too. And they didn't. I completely agree. Why do you think that other tech companies should follow. But I just I completely agree with that, because if it comes out later that at this point they knew. Right. Things things were good. Right. Then why come out with half of the statement? So no, but look, I I, I think the point here is this is just an FX warning. This is nothing to do with demand. In fact, I'm I'm looking at some notes here. Good good news. That's great news. No, I don't I don't know, because I think it's inevitable. Uh, And I actually think when I think about it in the construct of market sequencing, I I actually you know, this this rally and I think we could continue to go a little sideways. I don't think the consumer is going to die here. Microsoft said uh, at, at a TMT conference at J.P. Morgan on May 25th, even coming out of the pandemic, usage has never been higher across office suite of products and that the pandemic accelerated the shift to the cloud, et cetera, et cetera. We know all this stuff. You know, they've given us recent points looking into their business. Now, I don't think their business falls apart. The pandemic also pressed this move to enter the enterprise into the cloud. And I think that's something that's only really just begun. But I you know, we all would love to just fast forward a lot of this, right? Like, I'd like to see the Fed be more aggressive. I'd like to fast forward even. Rip the uh, and, and, off. Yeah, well, and even on the economy. I mean, it's easy for me to say, but I'd like to see a deep uh, and, sure. and very swift recession because I think we can keep moving in the same way that we've had all kinds of so, shocks. So maybe it's actually good news that Brainerd came out and said that there's no reason to think that there's going to be a pause after 250 basis point cuts. 
that the Fed is going to be much more aggressive because I mean, she's the Uber, the, the Uber, Uber dove, dove, by the way, exactly. to put it in context. So we haven't seen peak inflation. And then you had Larry Fink coming out later on in the afternoon saying he sees the next couple of years of higher than normal inflation. These are these would have been very negative things maybe a couple weeks ago. And today, yeah, no I mean, the sentiment was really bad. We got through earnings periods. We didn't have any major disasters that you could extrapolate. I think I think the last bit, and we talked a lot about what um, Target and Walmart had to say about the consumer. And obviously, Microsoft is not a particularly like huge consumer facing company. So the real issue would be is if we start to see the sorts of turns between the end of this quarter, we have one more month for all intents and purposes. And then when a lot of these companies are going to report in late July, I, I think that that's not off the table, that we are going to see some major shifts. As Listen, we had Salesforce. We they, good, they, they talked about good demand. MongoDB was up 15, 16 yeah. percent. Talking about good demand. But I think the takeaway from the retail thing is like, yeah, the consumer is fickle and there's a lot of things that could be headways to, to them. That's also the same um, thing in the enterprise. And that's the, the history of these past cycles is like enterprise spending can turn on a dime, too. Don't think for a second that can't happen. And that's but why I, I think we're early in this. I, I think corporates come out of the pandemic even better than the consumer. And I know that's probably hard to believe when you think of stimulus checks and savings and, and unemployment rates. But I mean, there's there's one point nine trillion in cash on S&P balance sheets right now. And if you think about that, uh, you can actually take the multiple at least X cash of the S&P even lower. I think corporates are in great shape and I think they can spend on enterprise. I think they can spend on security. I think we're going to hear more about that. We're going to talk about CrowdStrike and Okta. And, you know, I mean, I just think it's an environment where it doesn't fall apart. But the conversation we're having, I want to see the impact of 200 basis points of Fed tightening on the consumer. I'm less, you know, companies, I think it's a little bit different. I think we all recognize the consumer is what's driving this economy and the consumer has been fine. It has a job, but I, I don't you, think once it's... Once you see the impact on the consumer, though, you're going to ha- you're going to see the impact on companies yes. as well. I mean, it's it has to be yes. that way, right? Uh, no, I agree. And, and in fact, so maybe, as Dan's saying, you get a glimpse of it, although it doesn't. Do you think we get that by July? Well, I think that we might see by July, as far as earnings, we might see a lot of double ordering. We might see inventory builds. And that would be the thing. That would be the next leg of a lot of companies. You guys, you know, we've dealt with this with retailers for a long time. And I think that's kind of what we saw a little bit maybe with Walmart and Target. They had the wrong inventory. And if we start seeing that, let's say, in the semi space, look at how NVIDIA traded over the last week since they reported. It wasn't a great report. It wasn't a bad report. That, that guidance was fine. It's just still a very expensive stock for this market. But if we start seeing areas like that where we're seeing inventories build, those, those multiples will come in. All right. We've got a market flash on Kohl's here. Shares are dropping after a report. The auction for the company is delayed indefinitely. Oh, Aaron's uh, Kohl's. Aaron. Indefinitely. Oh, it is down 9%. I guess uh, the board didn't listen to you, Karen, the last time you yelled at them. Scolded. Which time? Scolded. <laughs> the last time. You know, this is the board ought to be absolutely ashamed. What they've destroyed shareholder value. They've lied to the shareholders. Maybe not lied. Intentionally misled. I find it impossible, impossible to believe that they didn't know they were going to fire the chief merchandise, chief marketing officer before the meeting. That is nearly impossible. And they chose not to tell the shareholders. So I don't know if board, you didn't know that. Or board, you did know that, and yet you didn't feel any need to tell the shareholders. So clearly they've diminished value. There were bids in the medium to high 60s. We didn't even see what other bids there were. This is incredibly disappointing. I think the stock clearly was not trading as if there would be a takeover mm-hmm. uh, very soon. It's down, what, four, three bucks, three-ish bucks probably a buy there because it's ridiculously cheap, but you have to let people kind of puke it out. 
I think the I think there will be activists back. The board ought to be ashamed. This is terrible, terrible corporate governance. You Can you get away with it? Yes. Do you but, stick with it? Uh, I, I either get out or buy more. Right. It's one or the other. I think that. You're operating with yeah. a management team you regard as basically incompetent, a board that's knowing, not doing Which their job, in your view. In the best case, right. incompetent, um, sounds like. And so, and so that's not a position you want to be in. Right. I get that. However, despite their attempts... To diminish the business, which they've been successful at, I have to add, there are there are still huge cash flows here, and I think we will we will see more. Um, I don't know. All right, well, we will watch the story. Uh, the shares are down ten percent. This again, according to the New York Post, that the uh, auction for uh, the sale of itself for Coles is postponed indefinitely. Uh, moving on, our next guest warns too much is going wrong for sustainable market bounce. Peter Bookvar is the chief investment officer at Bleakley Advisory Group and a CNBC contributor. Peter, we were debating here on the desk. We had uh, bad news come out in the markets or what could have been perceived as bad news just a couple weeks ago in the markets rally. Isn't, isn't that a good thing? Yeah, for now it is. Uh, I think this is in the context of last, early last week where sentiment was extremely uh, dour. You know, you've had in the AAII survey, bears above 50, bulls in the teens. Uh, the CNN fear greed index got into the mid-single digits. Investors' intelligence showed well more uh, bears than bulls. And I think that there's hope that maybe inflation numbers have topped out, which they likely have, uh, but then a separate debate is how far does it fall. Uh, that we priced in the rate hikes. And I think people somehow believe that there's this soft landing. Uh, what amazes me, though, is that earnings estimates for this year have not changed one bit, which implies the market's belief that we will have a soft landing and somehow the Fed is going to pull this off. And I, we're also in this information vacuum. We're sort of at the end of earnings season, and we don't have a Fed meeting until, you know, for the next couple of weeks, but we already know what they're going to do. And the real next big catalyst is not until earnings season in middle July when we review Q2 uh, results. And I think when we get deeper into QT, which we know started this week. Peter, it's Tim. I know we all question whether the Fed could even have any data. And we certainly their track record's awful. Um, I referenced your note yesterday where you talked about Bill Dudley is kind of the, the truth speaker, the truth serum man of the Fed. Um, give us your sense, even in a world where the Fed can't predict out three months, we know they have nothing special in terms of information. Um, is the Fed underestimating what they have to do? I, I think that the Fed is has their fingers crossed, uh, hoping that if they can temper the demand side enough, over time, the supply side will somehow fix itself, and they'll get a sharp drop in the inflation rate. It's the U.S. economy is way more complicated than an econometric model can predict, and that is when they're easing, and that is certainly when they're tightening. So they're going to tighten because they know they need to play catch up here. They were mugged by the reality of inflation running at eight. They have the Fed funds rate today at one. Yes, we're pricing at maybe three. So I think they just they don't even know how the economy is going to respond. Jay Powell said that himself at the last press conference when he was asked, what's the impact of QT going to be? And he basically said, I have no idea. That's fair. Um, but isn't isn't that doesn't that argue for the Fed being a little bit cautious because we don't know what the impact of QT can be. And that could be another wallop uh, in, you know, in terms of tightening that we just can't quantify right now. So why not just sort of take it easy and not 
you know, we were saying earlier today, pull the pull the Band-Aid off. Maybe it's not that easy. It is not. And I agree. And I think we got a hint of that from Brainerd when Sarah asked her, what are you going to do in September? Because we know you want to raise 50 in June and July. And she even said, well, if the inflation numbers are high, we'll go 50. And if they're not, maybe we do 25. So they have left it open at that September meeting to be more actually data dependent, where we know they, they have been less of that uh, over the past couple of years. So I do think that they are sensitive. And it's not just the Fed. The European Central Bank has acknowledged their sensitivity to their pace of tightening and its impact on the actual economy. And they got an even deeper problem with inflation above 8%, and they still have rates below zero. So I agree that there is that sensitivity. Uh, but that, that, that is the, the difficulty of, of, of what they're trying to accomplish here. Peter, thanks for your thoughts. Appreciate it. Peter Brookvar, Weekly Advisory. Dan? I love Peter's work. Um, you guys know I'm a big dummy. Um, I read guys like him every day. But I, I really think no that comment. this inflation, I know, I know, I know what you think. I, I just think this inflation thing is transitory. I, I mean, I really do. I think that we're going to be looking back in a year from but now. But it's transitory to I don't know. I mean, whatever. My, my point is, is like, I think the markets, I think the stuff is, we're, we're going to suss it Then buy equities. I just, I, well, but, I mean, but again, you buy but, equities that, but that's maybe why, you know, a lot of people are saying the bottom is in. Maybe that was it. I'm just saying, like, when you think about the disconnects and all the stuff that we've seen and all this, you know, you know, the post-pandemic stuff and the war in Europe and what just happened. I mean, China was just locked down 25 million citizens in Shanghai for two months. You know, I just feel like that. Wouldn't all that be this, inflationary, though, if they're coming I think back there's on? So Sorry, many things, I think there's so that. many things that are inflationary. I just think we're going to kind of come back to trend. And I don't think we're going to be dealing with high single digits inflation for that long. I just don't. Coming up, we're all over the After Hours action. RH and Lululemon, both stocks on the move after reporting results. We'll bring you the numbers next. Plus, summer may be kicking off, but is a crypto winter officially here? That is the word from the Winklevoss twins. The cuts they are making as investors brace for the cold. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customer customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got back-to-back earnings alerts in the retail space, starting with RH. The stock is down, but off its lows after a big EPS beat, issuing weak guidance for Q2 and the full year. Christina Partsinevelis has got the latest. Christina. Hi, Melissa. No doubt, stellar quarter for RH, but the CEO, Gary Friedman, cautioned, quote, We've experienced softening demand trends, which began at the time of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and have further slowed during the market disruption over the past several months. The CEO also pointing out that even though other retailers are discounting their goods, RH is choosing not to promote or offer big discounts. 
in order to avoid brand erosion. So that means RH could suffer some short-term risk and that means a troublesome outlook. RHC's Q2 revenues declining about 1% to 3% versus the 5% estimate. Full-year revenue guidance is also below expectations, even despite this strong Q1 quarter. The company did announce today a new $2 billion buyback program, as, and that buyback program constitutes roughly 30% of its market cap. And then lastly, RHC's CEO Friedman also adding, that the next couple of quarters will face some challenges as spending shifts after, quote, the extraordinary growth from COVID and as RH continues to raise its products. Quality shares are, oh, improving a little bit. All right, Christina, thank you. We'll get back to you for the second earnings release in just a moment. Um, Karen, what do you make of the quarter here? So it could have been a lot worse, actually. So it's not surprising to see some slowing down. That's, you know, we've seen that in housing. We've seen that in all, all types of things. Um, the, the buyback is actually, as, as Christine pointed out, part, it, it's, it's very significant. When I looked at their 10K last year, they bought stock at a two, three, I'm sorry, $560, I believe. Mm-hmm. So they must really love it at 300 It could have been worse. The PE multiple is, has come all the way back down. Right. So it's now, I don't know, 13, something in there, or maybe a little, 11. a little less. OK, a it's little 11 less. And a half. 11 and, and a half yeah. forward. Huh. And the stock price and, is all the way back. This 250 yes. level was where it was in February of 2020 before you knew you were going to have to move into your house, the place you already moved into uh, and just buy furniture upon furniture and furniture and stay there. So that's interesting, right? And if you back out the cash, I mean, it's really inexpensive. No wonder they want to buy back that much stock. We'll see how quickly they do it. But uh, and it, that's totally disjointed from the sentiment around the stock. And, oh, maybe this this the whole, you know, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, uh, is over. Mm-hmm. And so you should get out of the stock. They're smart but to the valuation protect the brand. I think they're what? smart to protect the, the brand. Uh, you know, to, to not, not to not engage in promotional activity and and RH stands above. It, they stand above William Sonoma. They stand above some of the other you know folks out there. And I think there's there's a a segment that will continue to pay more, um, even if I think there's been a major pull forward. I, I like that announcement. All right, looks like it's uh, probably going to go positive in the after hours. We'll keep an eye, we'll keep an eye out for it. Uh, this is Lulu here, up one and a half percent after hours. Earnings also out after the bell. Um, well off the highs though of the afternoon after reporting a beat on the top and bottom lines for the first quarter. Second quarter guidance also coming in stronger than expected. Let's get back to Christina for the numbers. Christina. Well, it seems like men really like Lulu's after all because the company's Q1 profit and sales beat the street because of online sales and the men's division. The company is so bullish they raised their full year outlook, even though other retailers like Zoomies just an hour ago have warned about higher freight and labor costs. Keep in mind, though, we know this. Lulu caters to a more affluent shopper, and the wealthy are shopping. The brand also benefits from two current trends. That's increased focus on health and wellness and the ongoing casualization of fashion, a.k.a. people who try to wear or get away with Lulu's at the office. Lulu's revenue grew 32% year-over-year, and the leisure company expects Q2 revenue to be in the range of about $1.75 billion to $1.78 billion, topping analyst estimate, hence why the stock is up about uh, one. One and a half percent. All right. Christina, thank you. Christina Partsinevelis doing double duty for us. Um, I have a theory about men. Dan, how much stuff did you buy? That is is a man finds what he likes. Like, for instance, the ABC pants that are so popular. He buys them over and over again. And they just keep buying and they don't want to look anywhere else because they're, I don't want to say too lazy. They're content with what they found. It's an annuity. You know us, Mel. Uh, No, I mean, 
Allison, here's an interesting scenario. I mean, think of the conversation we're just having about high-end consumer discretionary stuff from, from RH to this or whatever. This stock got cut in half, okay? Like, this stock was anticipating um, a lot of great news about a year ago, and now it's in half. And the fact that it's only up 1% on that news, I mean, there's no reason for a big parade here or anything like that. I mean, still an expensive stock as you look across the consumer discretionary space or whatever. But uh, again, I mean, if you believe in this business, you believe that they're growing in those sorts of categories, um, that you're probably getting as cheap as you were able to get it um, over the last 10 years or so. Is that you just that bought? I did just yeah. buy, you know, that that uh, retail sell off sort of allowed me to buy some. It's a difficult one, though, for just the reason you said. They, I mean, these numbers are fantastic. The comp store sales, you know, they do. It was a little margin uh, tightening because they uh, had supply chain issues and some of the other issues we hear from everybody else. Interestingly, the margins on their uh, direct customer were really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a great company. I struggle now at 33 times, right? If the whole market's going down, this is coming down with it, despite their really good, really good investor day. So this, I mean, I struggle with what to do with it, maybe sell some upside calls, but a very impressive, very impressive. It's that same customer, though, that I think is at RH. Yeah. The overlap is probably meaningful. There were uh, expensive yes. leggings on those big sofas. And Peloton also, though, so yeah. I don't know what to make of that. Is that, is that Jacket Lulu, Dan? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> now, I, I want to point out that also the move in the stock is what we're talking about. The, the 32 times forward, not cheap relative to the market, but relative to itself. This is a company that had $2.6 billion in revenues in 2018 and will do 7.5 to 8 next year. I mean, the growth is staggering. Uh, and again, we talk about DTC and the margin profile of that business, uh, the fact that they've carved out a brand here that men and women are going crazy for. I, you know, you pay more for a company like this. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Biotech buys. A top player scooping up a new drug in a billion-dollar deal. An exclusive interview with the CEO next. Plus, buckle up. We're charging into Tesla. The EV maker driving higher as analysts plug in. So will shares keep surging. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Regeneron in the red today after the company announced it will buy global rights for a cancer drug from Sanofi for up to $1.1 billion. Meg Terrell joins us now for a CNBC exclusive interview with the CEO of Regeneron. Meg. 
Mel, thanks so much. Dr. Len Schleifer, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us this evening. Let's start right on the news of the day. Buying the rights to Libteo, your uh, cancer immunotherapy drug, the global rights from Sanofi. What will this enable you to do with your oncology franchise? Right. So remember, uh, and by the way, thanks for having us. Uh, uh, Libteo is a drug that was invented at Regeneron, and we originally licensed uh, it to Sanofi in a collaboration uh, where we shared the development uh, expenses and the profits. Um, and, you know, we've had a long relationship with Sanofi that's not quite two decades. Uh, it's produced, I think, one of the great biotech drugs in Dupixent, which was also discovered at Regeneron. But things change. Um, we've been through maybe half a dozen teams at Sanofi, uh, same vision uh, and teams here at Regeneron. Their current team, Paul Hudson, John Reed, Bill Sibold, JB, these guys are uh, super capable, but they have a slightly different vision than we had. Um, we're going to be able, we believe that Liptile is foundational to our immuno-oncology effort. We've got uh, more than 20 different trials going with 18 different combinations. We think um, we want to play in a very large space, um, which is uh, now uh, the PD-1, PDL one space is... Uh, is north of $30 billion last year. And so we want to play in that space. Uh, we think we have the tools to do it. We had a slightly different vision, um, but uh, we are going to be able to, we think, uh, bring better drugs uh, to patients with cancer. So, uh, yeah, I guess the question a lot of folks have is how significant a player do you envision Regeneron being in this space when, of course, there's the 800-pound gorilla of Keytruda dominating immunotherapy and potential biosimilars coming along at the end of this decade? Yeah, maybe I could steal a thought from Tiger Woods, uh, who said uh, he doesn't enter tournaments that he doesn't think he can win. We don't go into spaces that uh, uh, we don't think we can uh, uh, be the leading player at. Uh, that's our strategy. Um, we went into uh, the retinal uh, diseases with ILEA. We were behind, but now we're the leading uh, drug in that space, um, which is a very large uh, um, uh, area that patients truly benefit from ILEA. Um, we entered into the uh, immunology space uh, for type 2 allergic diseases, and I think there's no doubt that Dupixent uh, is leading. Uh, we feel the same way about immuno-oncology. Uh, we're a little bit behind some of the larger players, but uh, we wouldn't enter it if we didn't think we could become a leader. Uh, you know, I want to ask your thoughts also, Len, about this moment we're in, in in biotech. We were just showing your stock price, and it has been a much happier story than for the rest of much of the biotech industry. The smaller companies are just at these horrible lows in terms of sentiment. Does that create a buying opportunity for you? How does that make you sort of think about M&A and the prices being where they are, if it changes your thinking at all? Yeah, I know it does change our thinking. Um, Biotech goes in cycles. Uh, we've been doing this uh, as a public company since 1991, and we've seen many different cycles, uh, times where you could mention the word biotech and the stocks would zoom, and times when you'd mention the word biotech and you were worth less than the cash you had in the bank and nobody believed you could do anything. Um, we're in one of those down cycles right now. It, they change pretty rapidly, but we're in one of those down cycles where there's literally hundreds of companies that were formed um, that are trading at a very low valuation relative to the technology and creativity uh, and innovative capabilities that many of them have. Uh, we recently acquired one of them, one like that, uh, Checkmate, uh, which we uh, closed the deal on uh, just uh, literally uh, 
in the last couple of days. Um, and we think there are other opportunities. Regeneron, by its nature, tends not to compete um, with large pharmaceutical companies looking for late-stage products that are already uh, have a ribbon tied around them where you can basically uh, bring to bear, let's say, a marketing strength that a larger company might have. We're looking for like-minded uh, uh, companies. We've had relationships with companies like Alnylam, which is a great company in its space, with Intellia uh, and many others, uh, where we can find scientists who want to work together. But mm -hmm. when the valuations come down, it's easier for us to uh, do these deals, and we will continue to look. Um, but we have a robust internal machine led by George Ancopoulos, which I think is uh, really best in, uh, in the industry. Sure, Lana. But how should investors, Melissa Lee at the Nasdaq, how should investors think about about your portfolio and the areas in which you would want to invest? I mean, outside, even after this deal, you've got about $12 billion in net cash on the balance sheet. And a lot of the analysts are saying, you know, this is a great um, diversifying purchase for you from Sanofi. But at the same time, your core portfolio is ILEA and Dupixent, and they're facing increasing competitive pressures. Yeah, it's funny, uh, you know, We've been hearing that from Ilya for a decade. I'm sure we'll hear that for another decade uh, with Dupixent. Uh, Dupixent is in an upswing now in a big growth mode. Um, it's just an amazing drug. I recently approved for eosinophilic esophagitis, doing great things for people uh, who have really bad eczema, known as atopic dermatitis, for patients with asthma, for patients with nasal polyps, um, in all sorts of geographies, all sorts of age groups. Um, really an, uh, an amazing product. Uh, so I, I think there's uh, quite a lot of opportunity there, uh, and there's room for competition. Competition is good for patients. Um, people, many people are bringing new ideas. We welcome that. The same way we're going to compete in the you know, oncology space. We're not a leader there. And the others, I think, need to watch out because I think Regeneron is coming. Uh, and we've got a lot of great things uh, that look good to us. And so we're going to pursue them aggressively. All right, Lunch Lifer, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thank you, Meg. Meg Terrell, thank you. And our thanks to Lynch Schleifer. Um, what do you think of the stock, Tim? Well, a couple of things here. You know, Regeneron is another one of these very healthy balance sheet stories in some part of the biotech space that's very different than other parts. It's 7 percent of the IBB, uh, not the X, you know, the the XBI, excuse me, which is the, the one that's really underperformed the XBI. Um, if you think about this transaction, and I know Piper was out there with a note today saying that the sell-off around this deal was overdone. First of all, the full control uh, of this underlying drug, the, the synergies in terms of their oncology aspirations, even if it's, uh, again, an area where they, he just acknowledged they're behind. I mean, I think it's a case where this is a company that trades it around 14 times. Um, and yes, only down 15% off of a, a crazy COVID high. Um, but if you think about it, this is a company that clearly has a core pipeline that is defensible. An evaluation that's not expensive. Yeah. Karen, you're remarking on the moves in uh, pharma today. Yes. Not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, they've had a bad couple of days. Um, you know, you would think so. It's it's a hunt for where's the growth going to come. Mm -hmm. And um, also, it's been a place to hide just as a market dynamic of it. And now we're in a oh, you don't need to hide anymore. Come out. So get out of your hidden stocks. I'm hanging on to mine. I think there's value there. Which are? Which are Pfizer, Bristol-Meyer, Merck, Abbey, and Lilly. Coming up, Tesla hitting all the green lights today. Shares jumping as analysts charge up the EV maker. So we're dipping into the options pits to see how traders are playing it. we got the details next, and we're all over CrowdStrike's results. We'll bring you the numbers and the trades. 
when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Tesla shares hitting the gas today after Goldman Sachs reiterated the electric vehicle maker as a buy, saying the company might look to develop new models as capacity comes back online. And option traders seem to think the stock will move even higher. Mike Coe has the action. Mike. Yeah, so Tesla is always one of the busiest single stock options. No different today. It was the busiest. It traded over one and a half million contracts, well ahead of second place Apple, and it traded over $2 billion worth of premium. Net-net options traders were definitely bullish. They purchased net about a billion dollars worth of stock equivalent. And the most active options contract were the weekly 800 strike calls. We saw over 124,000 of those trading for just over $5.70 a contract. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock could rally again tomorrow and see a rally uh, comparable at least to the one that we saw today. Um, This sort of rally, this sort of run that we've seen in stock, Tim, it's it's sort of like the run we've seen in Netflix, the run we've seen in Amazon, uh, where there are actual buyers after the the pullbacks. Yeah, I was just looking at the chart here. I mean, on some level, you can you can make an argument it's even under underperformed, you know, an Amazon. A lot is underperformed Amazon off this low. Um, I I think this is going to continue to be a poster child for the volatility that we see in high multiple tech. And and despite the fact that uh, in a lot of the high multiple techs, it's a question of really a proven model and cash dynamics, which I don't think exist at Tesla. Um, but I think, you know, look, the stock's expensive. The rally back off in a market where the Nasdaq's done 11 and a half percent. Absolutely take it. It's probably a decent time to yeah, last take week, a pause. Last week at its lows, it was down basically 50 yeah. percent from its highs late last year. It was just down since the start of April, um, about 40 some percent or so. So could this thing rally um, back towards that $900 level? Yeah. But I think it really comes down to after that immaculate quarter that some were calling it the last quarter. Let's see how they did with Shanghai being locked down. Let's see about demand. Let's see about competition. Um, to me, it just feels like this thing has made a series of lower highs since that high last fall. I suspect it doesn't. You know, maybe you have a 30 percent move and that would be nothing in this stock right now. All right. Mike Coe, thanks. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, crowd strike on the move after reporting a beat on the top and bottom lines. We're breaking down the numbers next. Plus, a mix day for crypto, but the Winklevoss twins say it's time to bundle up the deep freeze that could be coming for your Bitcoin. We got the details ahead. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got another earnings alert on CrowdStrike. The stock moving lower despite a beat on the top and bottom lines. A call kicking off at the top of the hour. Frank Holland has got the details. Hey, Frank. Well, hey there, Melissa. On the call just a few minutes ago, CEO George Kurtz explained how macro tailwinds led to the beats and motivated the company to raise full-year guidance. Again, not clear why shares are down with both quarter and full-year guidance solidly above estimates, but take a listen. We continue to see powerful tailwinds fueling our market And we do not currently see any indication that these trends will abate anytime soon. These tailwinds include a rapidly expanding attack surface and digital supply chains as organizations embrace digital transformation and move more workloads to the cloud, the cybersecurity skills gap, and a heightened threat environment. So again, shares down 3%, really not clear why. All other metrics pretty strong, including margin and cash from operation, both of those well, overestimates, Melissa. Back over to you. Frank, thank you. Frank Holland, uh, the stock was up almost 8% in the regular session, and now in the after-hour session, down 3%, Tim. Yeah, and you got some numbers out of Okta, too. So if you think about what's mm-hmm. been going on in cybersecurity and, and the decimation 
that went on in these stocks. And look, I, I sat here on this desk a year ago saying I thought these companies were worth paying the growth multiple. If you look at the year over year, uh, 65 percent growth multiple, gross margin of 76 percent. I mean, these are wicked companies. Uh, Profitable companies, if you listen even to Microsoft, I mean, Microsoft's software applications and their security, like they believe this is a major business for them. It's a question of what you want to pay. And, you know, this this is a company that loses money. So um, I actually think this is a major relief. A company that was once a 40 billion dollar company. Again, I'm back to Okta is now a 15 billion dollar company. Um, I, I think this, this kind of growth at this kind of a multiple, it is worth it. Yeah. And I guess you're right. I mean, 77 percent gross margins are growing sales plus 40 percent a year. I mean, he sounded really bullish about all of those tailwinds, and I think you can take them at face value. The problem is um, unprofitability on a gap basis and then trading about 18 times sales this year, 15 times next. That's the thing that investors are just trying to grapple with right now. Yep. All right. Meantime, check out shares of Netflix. Topping the tape today, the streamer jumping 6% after Guggenheim said a new ad-supported tier offers long-term upside for the stock. Shares are now up 25% from their May 12th lows, but still down 65% this year. Netflix's annual general meeting is set to start at the top of the hour. Um, Karen, what do you think? I mean, you were in, you were out. It was out. Um, I'm not back in, but if I had to do something, I would be a buyer here. I think that this, the ad-supported, the ad-supported platform, that makes sense to me. I don't know when they're actually going to get that together, and I don't think it'll be easy. Mm-hmm. But I think it makes sense for them to do. It's, others have done it. You see Paramount has done it with some success. So I think it's the right thing for them to do. It's not crazy expensive here. And I know it's, a, you know, they pull forward a lot, but still, they do have a pretty sticky base. And I do think it is possible for them to grow. And even if they don't, I think that at this price, a lot of the downside's out. The other ad-supported models, though, exist at companies that already have an ad sort of uh, presence. They already have advertisers. And this Netflix does not. It doesn't have any sort of ad model in it. Yet, it has right. to build that from scratch. Go ahead. Or buy it. I, or I, Tim, buy were it. you yeah. catching this as soon as I was out? They pull me back in vibe from Karen yeah. on this thing I, a little bit. Uh, no, yes. I, a guy would be mortified. Godfather 3 is dead to him. It's not a thing. Uh, you, it went like that. Um, <laughs> Sorry, man. What? Everyone knows that one. I would just tell you that I I was really surprised by the bearishness around this whole ad-supported model. Yeah, they went X-growth and everything like that, but they're really coming up with a plan that actually has worked in a bunch of other models, and they have an audience, they have the content, they have the catalog, they have a lot of these relationships. I think whether they build or buy on the ad model, I think it works. Well, they downgraded the stock um, while reiterating a, a, an overweight. If you think about the numbers, their, their model basically assumed, you know, 30 percent of their sub base goes to an ad model and they prorated it. And they say it's a 75 billion dollar sales company by the end of the decade. And, and, and again, with a downgrade. So um, a lot of bad news priced in here. Uh, unlike Karen, I didn't get out in time. Coming up. Is a Bitcoin blizzard taking effect? The cold call from the Winklevoss twins and the staff cuts they're making to brace for the storm. The details when Fast Money returns. Take another check on shares of Kohl's. They are now higher by 6%. The Wall Street Journal is now saying the company will review bids in the coming days. Previously, we were talking about a report from the New York Post saying that the uh, auction, Kohl's is ending the auction process for its own sale indefinitely. But here we are, just the opposite. Um, it's like a As the World Turns episode <laughs> in, in the past hour when it comes to Kohl's, Karen. Are you happy yeah. now? <laughs> I'm happier. It's still have a chance. Do the right thing, board. Do the right thing. 
Spike Lee were here. Hmm. That's what he would say. All right. It has been a long, dark and cold few months for the HODL gang. And billionaire Bitcoiners, the Winklevoss twins, say the bleak period is not over yet. Let's bring in CNBC's Kate Rooney for more on the crypto chill. Kate. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, the Winklevoss brothers officially calling this downturn a crypto winter and announcing some layoffs as a result. Gemini, the exchange those two founded, cutting 10 percent of its workforce, pointing to crypto market conditions. Just this hour, Coinbase also extending its hiring freeze and rescinding some job offers that they already made to candidates. Two weeks ago, Coinbase had said it was pausing hiring. And in a memo today, executives say it's becoming more evident we need to take more stringent measures to slow down our headcount growth. Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss, meanwhile, of Gemini, also out with a memo today saying that crypto's trajectory has been anything but gradual or predictable. It's seen dramatic moments of hypergrowth followed by sharp contractions. Crypto is in the latter right now. They say, quote, the industry refers to this as a crypto winter. All of this is compounded by macroeconomic and geopolitical turmoil. They go on to say we are not alone. And Coinbase and Gemini are really the first big crypto companies to do this. But hiring freezes and layoffs are happening across tech right now. We had Robinhood among those cutting 10 percent of its workforce. It all comes as Bitcoin is down more than 50 percent from its all time high. Back to we you. Think about think, Kate, thank you. Think about the ripple effects. Think of all the VC money that poured into crypto related ventures, which are not profitable right now. And the contractions going on there. Plus, the other layer of it is all the advertising dollars that were spent and are being spent on crypto, which probably will not be spent anymore. And you got to wonder if Matt Damon is going to be paid for his uh, endorsement of whatever it was. I hope so. God, in crypto can you imagine? Land. I mean, he could be destitute. Um, <laughs> that uh, probably was the top. But they say we're not alone. And I wonder, are they talking about this as a subsector or as a sector? You know, again, look at EV, look at gaming, look at a lot of look at cannabis, look at all these places, look at some of the biotech stuff we're talking about. I mean, you can make an argument they've traded as one asset class. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's fair to say that. Up next, Final Trades. <laughs> yes, you do, Tim. You love Roadhouse. Oh Swayze. <laughs> time for the final We talked during the breaks. Uh, time for the final trade, Tim. Is that a Disney movie? If it's not, it should have been. But anyway, let's go with the Mouse House. Uh, you know, we spent some time talking about Netflix, but when you think about their growth, and you combine that with the reopening dynamics that are still going on in their leisure and their theme parks. Disney, not Roadhouse. Yes, so Lulu, those numbers were fantastic. It should be up, but the valuation's getting a bit stretched, so I gotta sell some upside calls against my stock. Dan? Should she tune in tomorrow at 5.30? Oh, yeah, anybody can learn how to do that. I, just say, I think the Netflix thing was really interesting. I know that that huge gap last month was concerning, but I like the long-term plan of capturing those other people who are not paying for it. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for Fast, 5.30 for Options Action. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.